He pastored, up until this year, he pastored out at Fairview Missionary Baptist. And uh, one of, like I said, one of my very best friends in life, and I'm thrilled to see him. Isaiah chapter 55, and uh, we are going to be in a wonderful, wonderful study. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to meet with us and bless us. Lord, we, we love you, and we pause for these few moments just to, just to drink, to take in your word, to see you in all of your beauty and your holiness. We, we need a, a respite. We need to be delivered from all that's going on in this current day, the culture, the, the, all the negative bantering and all that, Lord. And we just, we just need to be in your presence. We need to experience you tonight. I pray as we work through the scriptures, you would become more real to us that our hearts would be in tune with you, that we would just listen to you, that we'd rest in you. I just pray that you would calm our hearts, still our souls, and may we hear from heaven tonight. I ask you, Lord, to help me, that you'd fill me with your spirit, that you would enable me to teach And may the words I say be accurate. May they bring you glory. May they edify this body, your church, for your glory. And Lord, I I cannot do it without you. I ask you for your help. In Jesus' name, and amen. One of the things that... Isaiah 55. He does. Isaiah 55. One of the things that we struggle with, we struggle with it constantly, is our flesh wants to be like God. Now, we don't readily available, we don't readily say that, but our flesh has the propensity that we want to be the God of our own lives. We want to make our own decisions. We want to go our own way and we are not equipped to handle the consequences of that. One of the things that Israel constantly did was they constantly replaced the true living God with a God either fabricated in their mind or fabricated in, in gold or metal or fabricated in very other fictitious things. And it's really nothing new. It started in the garden when uh, Satan threw the serpent tempted Eve and said, Hath God not said? He knows that in the day that you eat that fruit, uh, you will be like him. And so constantly we are being bombarded by the temptation of our flesh, by the temptation of the devil, that we have the ability to be like God. And really, we don't. We don't. And that's the problem with Israel. They couldn't get that. They couldn't grasp that. They couldn't grasp that we desperately need God. Tonight in our study, I've entitled our study, Everyone Who Thirsts. 
everyone who thirsts. Has anyone in here ever really been thirsty? Now, I'm not talking about being out on a day where you've worked in the yard and you're really thirsty. I'm talking about you've been so thirsty, your lips are cracked, your tongue is swollen, and you just like to you just long for a, a drink. You've you, you got to have it. As a matter of fact, nothing else would matter to you until you get that drink. And that drink would be the only thing that could satisfy you. The nation of Israel kept looking to empty cisterns, empty wells, to find that life-giving drink, to quench that thirst that could only be quenched by a relationship with the true living God. And so read with me in the first five verses of, of, of Isaiah chapter 55, there's an invitation to the only one who can satisfy you. Verse 1, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what, not, for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David, indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. There are some very powerful words in these first five verses that all lend to this invitation. They all essentially are extolling us the same thing, and that is come to the one who can satisfy you. Notice with me in verse 1, there's come. It's in there twice. In verse 2, listen. In verse 3, hear. In, in uh, verse uh, 5, Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you. Why? Because of the Lord. Verse 6, Seek the Lord. All these are invitations. Seek the Lord while He may be found. These are all invitations for us humans to pursue a relationship with the Lord. Now, man, by nature, does not pursue a relationship with the Lord. The Bible says there is none that seeketh after Him. None seeketh after righteousness. Romans teaches us that. You don't get up one day and think, I'll discover God today. That's not how it works. But we're invited, and the Holy Spirit invites us, and God the Father invites us, and God the Son invites us to come to the only one who can satisfy us. Our lives are so complex, the longer we live, the more gadgets and gizmos we have, 
and we're no more better for it than anything. That telephone has not made us any smarter. It's called a smartphone phone, but it sure makes us dumb. For instance, how many of us in here used to remember telephone numbers before you got a cell phone? Right, okay. Now my brother, I'm not gonna mention his name, but he doesn't have a cell phone, probably one of the smartest fellows I know. But they sure do make us dumb, and they call them smart phones. Our lives have not been made any easier by technology. We think technology has made it easier. It hasn't. It has not. Now, granted, I like indoor plumbing. I'll give you that. I do. And air conditioning and things like that. But what I'm saying is we have a lot of things in our lives that we think will fill that void that can only be filled by the one, the Holy One of Israel. It can only be filled by Him. Hence the invitation, come. Come to Him. Listen to Him. Hear. Seek. Incline your ear. These are all invitations to the one that can solve the thirst. If you're desperately thirsty, I mean you're dying of thirst, you would not take a container of salt and pour in your mouth. Absolutely not. Because that would not quench your thirst. And so he gives an invitation. He has gone through 54 previous chapters and he has laid out how he is inviting continually them to come to him and get what their hearts long for, what they desire to have. But just like them... We fill our life with things that do not satisfy. You, your contract runs out on your phone, and you run out and get a new phone, right? And two months later, there's another new phone out. And there's a constant vicious cycle. Um, it is said of the rich, many of the rich people, no longer do they do things to make money, but they are addicted to more money. There's never enough. People who have won the lottery don't stop with winning the big jackpot. They continue to play the lottery because the winnings don't sustain them. All that money does not sustain them. So those who have no money, why do you spend your money on things that cannot satisfy verse 2 why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy why do we expend our energy our emotions our intellect our will why do we expend all of that on things that do not satisfy why do we do that we do that because we have gone astray and we need to heed the invitation just like Israel needs to heed the invitation. And others can see because when Israel finally does, after the tribulation, when they finally nationally come back to the Lord, others will see that it is the Holy One of Israel that's done this work. So, there's this great invitation. Now, he's going to lay out for us the reasons why we should seek or go to the Lord. Why should we, okay? 
Is it just so that we meet our, our needs are met? Is it just so that we have what we, uh, our, whole, our, our whole hearts are satisfied? Why is it? Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than <clears throat> your thoughts. So the first reason we are to seek after the Lord or we're to run to the Lord or we're to seek solace and find our satisfaction in Him is His ways and thoughts are so much higher than ours. Not even on the same plane, not even the same universe, not even the same realm. I don't even know how to, to describe the discrepancy between our knowledge and our thoughts versus His knowledge and His thoughts. The, the chasm between is so vastly different, I don't know, words escape me. But I will tell you this, he knows a lot more than I know. And because he knows and I don't know, I should surrender myself to him and seek after him. Especially while it's sensitive, while my heart is sensitive. So the first reason is we, his ways and his thoughts are so much higher. As the heavens are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways. Not even close. The devil was extremely wrong when he told Eve, you'll be like God. No. Not even close. Not even close. Anyone in here have a difficulty remembering something like perhaps where you laid something or where you, I know I have something, it's at my house, I don't know where it's at, but I have it. Anyone have issues like that? Do you know that God has never had a time where he has misplaced something? Do you know that God has never had a time when a thought occurred to him? He's never had an aha moment. He's God. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. His, his knowledge is infinite. So why wouldn't we want to seek after him? In the times in life when we don't know, which the longer I live seems to be more often, and there's a lot of times I sit with people and I don't know why things happen. And I can try to give you this big thing, but it's all, it's all speculation. But God knows. He knows. He knows. It's interesting, he says in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We come to the New Testament. The New Testament says, Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. You see, we have to move to Him close. We have to move to Him because He didn't move. We're the ones that moved. So we move to Him while it's, our hearts are sensitive, while we're able to do that. We're to forsake our own way, His way. Let the wicked forsake His way. It's a contrast between God's way and man's way. Our way is really the unrighteous way, described as wicked way, because it's not God's way. And so we're to forsake our own way and let him return to the Lord and, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. His ways are so much higher than our ways. Secondly, he says in verse 10, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. I might put a little footnote in there. Lord, please let the snow be over this year. Just saying. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it, his word, shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The second reason we are to seek the Lord, come to Him, listen to Him, <clears throat> incline our ear to Him, seek after Him, listen to Him. The reason we do those things is because His words will accomplish all that He sets them out to do. God will not fail. He has never failed. His words will accomplish the work He sends them to do. I don't know about you, but I've had good intentions. Anybody here ever had good intentions and you say something intending to do that? But circumstances changed and you weren't able to, to complete that? Has anyone ever did that? Sure, we all have. We're human, right? We all have. We all do that next week or whatever. And then the situation changes and you can't. God doesn't do that. His word is sure. The Bible says his word is settled in heaven. The flower fades. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Just as the snow goes out, melts, waters the earth, the snow doesn't go back up. No, neither will his word return to him void, empty, or not accomplishing that thing which he sent it to do. So the first reason would be his ways and thoughts are so much higher. second reason would be his word will accomplish all that he sends it to do. And the third reason is for true satisfaction, true joy. Verse 12, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. This reminds me, remember when Jesus was... Um, descending down the Mount of Olives and he was headed in to Jerusalem and they laid the palm branches down and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? And some of the Pharisees said, hey, Jesus, tell your disciples to quit, quit praising, to quit singing. Tell them to quit doing that. And Jesus said, if I tell them to stop, even the stones, the rocks will cry out. We, 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 we have such a limited, and, and I'm, we have such a limited understanding of this. Creation groans, the Bible says. Creation worships the Lord. Even things that we look at, oh, that's just a tree. They worship the Lord. And here he says that you will go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Now, 
to some degree, I think that all creation is worshiping our Lord. But I think most specifically, this is talking about a specific time, and it is talking about the millennial kingdom. And we, as much as we want to, as much as we try to be satisfied on this earth, there will always be, as long as we're human, a portion of unsatisfaction in us, in our flesh. A lot of people don't understand that. The Apostle Paul dealt with it. He, he'd struggled with it immensely. And we in church people sometimes like to put on a church front, right? Like we're, you know, we're, we're, hey, I'm living by faith and joy, you know, and everything. And truthfully, there's this side of life that's ugly. And it affects everyone. And our ultimate satisfaction in Him will not be fully realized until we are physically with Him. However, we can have joy now. We can have joy now. For you shall go out with joy. I cannot find satisfaction in sports because my teams don't always win. Matter of fact, if you're from Ohio, as of lately, our teams have a history of losing. Hence, his Cleveland Browns. And you're welcome, brother. But the point I want to make is this. There are so many things that we think will get us satisfaction. What did Mick Jagger say? Here I am quoting the theologian Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction. All you all used to listen to the Rolling Stones were like, say, satisfaction. You know, look at you, y'all giggling. I know you. That wasn't planned. That just came. I don't know where it came from. But anyways, my point is being is this. My, my mom is this. Listen. There's a part of man that wants heaven on earth, that wants perfection now. There's a part of us, humanly speaking, that we think we can't be satisfied unless we have everything we desire. I'll be honest with you, half the time, I don't even know what I want. Has anyone else with me? I, I think I'm going to go to a restaurant and I think, I know what I'm getting. And someone, well, what's that? You know, and I know it's not speaking to the things of the soul, but you know what I'm getting at. We have these cravings. We have these cravings of the flesh. And ultimately, this is the text. This is the meaning of the text. God wants us to enjoy Him. Now, He says, And it shall be to the Lord for a name... For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, I did not tell Bryce about it, but I'll read it. It says, And after they had become silent, James answered and saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles. Listen to take out of them 
a people for his name. God wants a people for his name. And I'm sad to say that in our churches, sometimes we enjoy the model of church, the function of church, the idea of church more than we enjoy God. We put all of these man-made things that we think, if we do them, we will become more spiritual. And if we do all these things, then we'll know God and They're nothing more than the traditions of men. It's our thoughts, our ways, put in a religious form and trying to force it on everyone. It doesn't work. God wants us to learn to enjoy Him for who He is. But in our churches, we always talk about us. We don't talk about God. We worship the way we want to worship, the style we want. Some churches you can't have a piano. Some churches you can. Some churches you can't have drums. Some churches you can. Some churches you have to do hymns only. And if you go beyond hymns, well, you know, there's nothing sacred new. And you have all that. And we have all these little things that we try to satisfy our soul with. And if we had our churches just the way we wanted, we would be satisfied. No, you wouldn't. Because the only thing that can satisfy is Him. Is Him. So we have to learn to enjoy Him. Now, this may come as a surprise to you, but I enjoy talking. Really. I do. And I remember sometimes I'll wake up early. And my wife will get up, and she's a slow waker up. She's got to ease into the morning. And I'm like, man, I've been asleep for six hours. I need to talk to somebody. Amen. Somebody talk to me. And... um, one of the very most difficult things for me to do is to sit and meditate and listen to God. If you know anybody that genuinely has ADHD, they will tell you the thing that scares them the most is silence. Silence is deafening. But I'm learning in my life Some of the most precious times are when I'm alone with the Lord. When I can just enjoy Him. I can be myself. I don't have to be a pastor. I don't have to be a counselor. I don't have to be, I can can just be me. I can just talk to God and enjoy His presence. That means more and more and more to me than all the phylacteries, all of the religious stuff. My relationship is meaning more and more and more to me than any of that. All the ideas of great churches and great works and great pastors means nothing because it doesn't satisfy. Only Christ satisfies. So I have... A few points of application I jotted down that I would like to just share with you, and, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll go home. Number one, come listen to seek the Lord. All these deal with the pursuit of our relationship with Him. Pursue Him. 
It's not natural. You won't want to do it in your flesh. All of everything in this universe will come against you when you begin to pursue the Lord. Everything will. The devil will go along with you serving in a church, keeping you busy, keeping you uh, distraught, keeping you from having that pursuit of the personal intimacy with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. He will try to keep you busy doing religious things. He will. But it will take a very sincere, concentrated effort for us to pursue Him. I'm talking about pursuing Him, not our idea of religion or idea of Him. I'm talking about Him. Pursue Him. Number two, God's ways and thoughts are so much higher. When we are in His Word, we are exposed to His thoughts and ways. When we're in God's Word, we are exposed to His thoughts and His ways. Now, obviously, these are not all of His thoughts and ways because we're even told in the New Testament. <laughs> not all things are recorded because we can't handle it. But we get a glimpse to His thoughts and His ways from the Scripture. And you know, they're so far away from human ways and thoughts. That's why people that don't have the Holy Spirit, that are not saved, that can't understand spiritual things, they can't understand the Bible, they can't understand all these things. Why in the world would you list, look at that archaic book and listen to it and believe it and do all this stuff? Why would you give your money to the church? Why would you do all that? They can't understand that. They can't understand it. And they can't understand all these these words in this book. Number three, actively pursuing intimacy. Do it while you're still sensitive to His presence. Do it while you're still sensitive to His presence. One of the most frightful things is someone can be in a state, in a relationship with the Lord, where they're not actively pursuing intimacy with Him, they're not growing in their fellowship and their love for Him, and they lose the sensitivity and they don't care anymore. That's tough. My heart goes out to them. Our church perhaps has... have. We have people in this county that once came to this church who had a thriving, abiding relationship with the Lord. And somewhere along the way, their intimacy was, was fractured with the Lord. And they're miserable. I, um, some time ago, I was talking to a fella, and <clears throat> he was, he said, hey, I, I met somebody that knows you, you used to go to your church, and he, he got a job with this fellow, and he said, we were talking, and we spent some time together, and he told me his story, and he's like, wow. He said, yeah, I know. And I said, I hate it. And uh, he invited him to his church, because he's not going to church anywhere now at all. And I think about him from time to time, and I wonder about him. And he's been on my mind this week. I think I'm going to try to call him and check on him and see how he's doing. But pursue intimacy while you're still sensitive. I have a friend from back home whose parents didn't believe in divorce. But they hated each other. They lived in separate rooms in the house because they didn't believe in divorce. And they were no longer sensitive to each other. They could care less. One did what one, one spouse did. One spouse did what he wanted. The other spouse did what she wanted. 
That's no relationship at all. It's no relationship at all. They had lost that sensitivity to each other. I can't fathom that. I mean, why? I mean, you're already divorced. You might as well just get the paper. But sometimes I fear that we may become so busy, we may become religious that we lose our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and to true spirituality in pursuing intimacy with the Father. It was said of the disciples, they were ignorant and unlearned men, but the people took note that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Pursue intimacy while you're still sensitive to His presence. Number four, lastly, His Word will accomplish what He says it will accomplish. It may not look like it right now, but it will accomplish what He sends it to do. I love this. Someone used to say, God's Word says it, I believe it, and that settles it. I heard one old preacher preaching one time. You know there's a certain age when preachers get to we're like, like they say whatever they want, and people are like, you know, bless his heart, he's 80-some years old. And that frail preacher stood up there and said, I tell you what, someone has said, God's word says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And that preacher said, let me tell you something, God's word says it, that settles it, I don't care what you believe. And I love it. God's word says it, it's settled. It doesn't matter what you believe. His word will accomplish all that it says it will. Let me encourage you, church, out of love for your Savior, pursue intimacy with Him. Don't approach, Sister Kay was telling me, uh, a little conversation she had, I got to go to church and I'll be back. And she said she corrected herself, I got to go to church. There are times when I, I have to, I got to read my Bible. I got to pray. And like, we come to even giving, Right? If I don't give, something's going to happen this week, right? Has anyone ever had that thought? If I don't give to the Sunday, something's going to happen that week, and I should have given, and I'm going to get paid back for not giving. I better pray. If I don't pray, something's going to happen. <coughs> That's not pursuing intimacy. That's pursuing an insurance policy. It's not one and the same. It's like officiating, I almost said funerals, weddings, um, I have everybody up here standing, and the husband and the wife are standing here. And the husband says, I'll tell you what. Before I repeat the vows, I'm going to say my own vows. I'll give you one, possibly two times a week. If I have money, I'll give to you. And, you know, if, if I want to do something for you, I may. But otherwise, just leave me alone. What kind of woman's going to marry that guy? She's going to say, you're out of your mind. Would you, all agree, would you agree with me, ladies? If your spouse was going to say that to you, you'd say, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more. But I'll tell you this. Is that not what we do sometimes to the Lord? Oh, I love you and serve you because I want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell, and I'll, you know, I'll give a little bit of money so I don't have to, my car don't break down or my refrigerator don't go out or my washing machine doesn't blow up or... We don't know anything about intimacy. It was said of A.W. Tozer, 
And perhaps he did more for worship in, in, in his pastoral stint than a lot of people did in the United States of America. It was said of A.W. Tozer that men and women could go by his office and hear him prostrate on the floor, crying out, worshiping God alone. Multiple times for long stints of, of periods of time. He said that worship was the crowning, the missing crowning jewel of the church. It was missing. It's all about intimacy with the Father. Israel worshiped golden calves and had the audacity to say, we just threw them in there and out came this calf. If you go back and read the account, they were attributing to the calf of being delivered out of Egypt, out of bondage. How stupid is that, right? And all kinds of other godly, debaucherous things going on. And yet, Moses and his comes down, he hears all this, what he perceives to be war, and it wasn't. It's an unrecognizable un, uh, sound of shouts and going on down there. And he comes down and he's angry. Why? Because he was intimate with the Father. He had to leave intimacy with the Father to come down and deal with debauchery. And you know the deal. He threw the tablets and broke the tablets and he was angry. Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus and he weeps. Could it be he's weeping because he's going to bring Lazarus back from intimacy with the Father to this world and Lazarus is going to have to go through all this again? I'm just asking you. I don't know that. I'm speculating. What I'm telling you is enough with works, enough with legalism, enough with thinking we're good enough and we have to keep ourselves saved and we have to do all this. Enough with that stuff. Intimacy with God. That's what we need. And we can have that. That's what we're going to do in the, in the kingdom. We're not going to be eating grapes on clouds, playing harps. We'll be in the kingdom. Intimacy with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. And that's what he is giving Israel a glimpse of. What you long for, Israel, you don't even know it. You want to be the regal nation, but what you don't know is the only thing that will satisfy you is being a people whose name represents the Lord. Being his. Being with Him. That's what matters. That's what matters. Father, we love You. We praise You. We adore You. Incline our hearts.